Welcome, everyone. I'm Kevin Miller. This is The Ziggler Show, inspired by the grandfather of inspiration himself, Zig Ziggler. Our focus here is you and your personal development. The way to have more tomorrow is to become more today. We bring you the best of today's world influencers and their messages and discover how we can all apply new and classic methodologies of personal growth to our lives. In this episode, we hit right to the core of all of our personal development success or lack thereof and ask what makes us finally take action on our desires. And I bring you personal development phenomenon, Hal Elrod. Hal has influenced millions of people with the message of his best-selling book, The Miracle Morning, one of the highest rated books in the world. Literally, The Miracle Morning has been translated into 34 languages, sold over a million copies, and is practiced daily by over 500,000 people around the world. But if you think it's simply about a morning routine, stop there. This short book is one of the most impressive messages on personal development I've ever read, literally. No wonder it's been flying off the shelves since Hal published it. But what's ultimately intriguing to me about Hal is his concern with inspiring so many people, but not being satisfied with how many were actually taking action as a result of the inspiration. His latest book is The Miracle Equation, and it tackles these issues. Hal almost died twice, once from a head-on collision with a drunk driver, then from a rare form of aggressive cancer. And the principles that helped him come back stronger from both accidents is what fuels his guidance for us in our everyday lives to finally take the necessary steps towards achieving the things we honestly desire. So this is the focus of his latest book, The Miracle Equations, the two decisions that move your biggest goals from possible to probable to inevitable. Uh, the discussion on overcoming negative emotions alone is worth the listen, worth the price of admission, as they say. It's just flat out profound, folks. So don't miss what Hal has to offer in the show, but also check out themiracleequation.com. That's the new book, themiracleequation.com, and his annual event, bestyeareverlive.com. So I'm going to bring you Hal right after I give some gratitude to our esteemed Ziggler show sponsors. All right, Hal, well, four paragraphs into the book, The Miracle Equation, you cited your own dissatisfaction after reaching a million people and you say you can meditate. This is, I'm quoting you here. You can meditate every day, read personal development books, gain clarity by journaling and become the most knowledgeable, confident and prepared person you could ever be and then do nothing. So I, I recently interviewed David Meltzer. He was one of the influential guys uh, for the movie, Jerry Maguire. And to quote yeah. that show, which I, I love the show, I own it to quote that one. You had me at hello right there <laughs> in the book. And, and I, I, I was thinking, how do I, I kind of want to say thank you because I feel that I feel like you hit on a primary angst that uh, all of us who are trying to succeed in our own lives and those who are trying to influence influence others we all grapple with, or I hope do are, are people digest, are they getting my stuff? Are they buying it? Great. Are they digesting it? Are they doing anything? And for you to come out and say that, uh, is tremendous. I, I, I almost want to ask, how's it going? <laughs> it's going well. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's going really well. Uh, how, how's it going in terms of the context of, I guess what I'm not sure. I'm not well, I mean, the miracle, it, it, that's the focus. So we got the miracle morning, which is amazing. Yeah. Now we've got the miracle equation, which focuses on are yeah. people taking action? I mean, that's your focal point in this. And I just love that you're, I feel like you're the you're Pied Piper for the self-development, personal development world of saying, are people taking action? What will it take? Got it. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I wasn't clear on that. No, no, I appreciate that. And 
it's the, the, the book that I wrote, The Miracle Morning, you know, that when I wrote that, it was out of a sense of responsibility where it changed my life. Yeah. And my wife, uh, it was, and it wasn't called The Miracle Morning and it wasn't a book idea. It was a morning ritual that I started in 2008 when the US economy crashed and my business crashed with it. Yeah. I lost over half my clients. I lost over half my income. I lost my home. You know, I couldn't pay the mortgage. And um, I just went on a quest, you know, out of like six months of this downward spiral for me of just, you know, really physically, I'd, my body fat percentage had tripled. I was kind of like at rock bottom. And a friend of mine, John Berghoff, uh, became, he's my, one of my best friends and business partners. He just said, Hal, you just got to go, go, go Google. He said, Google, what are the world's most successful people? What are their daily routines and rituals, habits and behaviors? Figure out what they do, do what they do. And you should see similar results. Yeah. And I went, okay, that doesn't sound like a quick fix, but it makes sense. Yeah. And I kept coming across morning routines and morning rituals, but I, like most people, I wasn't a morning person, right? Which I, I now see that as a limiting belief. Like I'm not a morning person. Well, if you don't run, you're not a runner. If you don't wake up early, you're not a morning person, but you can do both, right? Yeah. And so I kept coming across morning routines and morning rituals, but I was resistant. And finally, I saw so many articles saying that that's what CEOs do. That's what athletes do. As Robin Sharma said, when you study the world's most successful people, you find they have one thing in common. Most of them were early risers. And so I finally went, all right, I'll, 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 I give. I'll, I'll read some of these articles. And I went, back, I, I went back on my browser, read these morning ritual articles. And here's what I got is I got that how you start your day, you know, a.k.a. your morning ritual or routine, isn't equal on the buffet of things that can change your life. Okay, what I mean by that is if you go to personal, you know, it's, it's overwhelming. You go to Amazon, you're like, well, wait, do I need to buy a book on productivity or do I need to buy a book on emotional intelligence or do I need to be, uh, buy a book on self-discipline or one on motivation? Oh my God, it's overwhelming. I, what area do I need to improve? And what I realized from reading these articles and kind of putting together with common sense is I went, your morning ritual is not equal in weight, in, in, in potential impact as all of the other possible, all the other options on the personal development buffet, because how you start your day sets the tone, the context, your mindset and the direction for the rest of the day. So in simple terms, if you win the morning, you win that you can win the day. You put yourself, here's what the miracle morning does. You put yourself in a peak physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual state first thing in the morning. And you gain knowledge that you can apply to your life, to your business, to your relationships so every day you wake up and you become a better version of the person that you were when you went to bed the night before. And if that's how you start every day, it's only a matter of time before your outer world reflects your inner world. So I went, I got to get over this limiting belief that I'm not a morning person. And I woke up the next morning and, and before I went to bed that night, I Googled best personal development practices. And I ended up with a list of six meditation, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and journaling. And, or I, these are now named the savers, right? right? Silence, affirmation, it's an, it's an acronym. Silence, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and scribing. And I went, which one of these should I do in the morning? Which one of these is the, is the best? And the epiphany, Kevin, came when I went, what if I did all of these? What if I woke up tomorrow morning an hour earlier and I did 10 minutes of silence or meditation, 10 minutes of affirmations, visualization, right? 10 minutes of each. I thought that would be like the ultimate morning ritual, the best of the best. And I woke up the next morning. And at that time, keep in mind, I was $52,000 in personal credit card debt. 
My house was in foreclosure. My body fat percentage was triple what it was, you know, months earlier. I was, I was at really the lowest point in my life in most ways. And I woke up the next morning. I sucked at med. I sucked at all these things. But even sucking at my first ever, what I now call the miracle morning, didn't have a name. I felt, wait a minute. Wow. I feel confident, inspired, knowledgeable. If I start every day like this, it's only a matter of time. And to wrap up this story, and then I'll close it out with kind of this miracle equation thing. Um, but to wrap it up, in two months, I, more th- I went from $5,000 a month in income, which is what I had dropped to from 10 to 5. I went up to 12000 The most income I had ever made in my entire life was twenty five. And my body fat percentage that had tripled, I was now training for a 52-mile ultra marathon. And I had never run more than a mile in my life. And, and I did complete the 52 miles in one day, months later. And my depression went away on day one. And I went to my wife and I go, sweetie. And I, I said, this morning routine, look at how it's like our income's the highest it's ever been on and on in two months. And I go, it feels like a miracle. She goes, it's your miracle morning. I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that, sweetie. That was, yeah. And I wrote it in my schedule, Miracle Morning. And, you know, it's kind of long story short. I started sharing it with people, clients, friends. And they all said, I'm not a morning person. I made them all promise me they'd try it for a week. And there's a couple little tricks, little hacks in there to be the snooze button, right, that are included. And um, every single one came back and goes, Hal, holy, you know, like, I am a morning person. I just had the best week in my career. I just had this. I just had that. And that's when the, the light bulb went off and I went, if this shared my life and I'm not a morning person and this shared everybody else's like all these other friends and clients and this could change anybody's life. And I have a responsibility to share it with the world and kind of my wife's nudging like, sweetie, you've got to write a book about this. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I, so three years later, the miracle morning is published. And my, my, my expectation was I might sell a few hundred copies and I hope I change a few lives. And now we've sold, we just surpassed 2 million copies in over a hundred wow. countries, it's translated in thirty-seven languages, um, and yeah. And if you want, you know, I'll, I'll shut up for a minute. I'm long-winded. Um, well, but, I, I, uh, but I want, yeah, I can. Sh- I, I want people to know t- two million. Uh, I don't know if everybody knows the in the publishing world that is gargantuan. There's books out there that are on the top of the bestseller list, and it's the next best thing since sliced bread that haven't come remotely close. Two hundred grand is yeah. knocking it out of the park for and- a book publisher. And Kevin, the crazy thing about that is, and I think this speaks so, like this says the most, nothing I can say, it says what, as much as this says, that's word of mouth. I don't run Facebook ads. Like, yes, I do podcast interviews, but I'll tell you, here's the biggest telltale sign. Two years ago, and we can, this probably will come back later. Like we'll actually dive into some really powerful lessons from this. But two years ago, I was diagnosed with a very rare, aggressive form of cancer, acute lymphoblastic leukemia at 37 years old. I had a seven-year-old daughter, a four-year-old son at the time. I still have them, but they're older. But they were seven and four. Um, and I was given a thir- 20 to 30% chance of surviving, yeah. right? And that is a 70 to 80% chance that I was going to die and leave my family without a husband, without a father. And um, I applied this thing called the miracle equation, which is why I wrote the most recent book. We'll get yeah. to that in a minute. But um, this, this is the thing. That year... I, we sold 130,000 copies and I was in a hospital bed, not doing a single interview, not doing a single ad. That was because the miracle morning was changing people's lives just as profoundly as I just shared it in my own, right? Like it changed my life this way and it's doing the exact same thing for millions of people. And so they tell everyone that they know, you know, and that is, again, so that says it's, it's not 2 million copies because I'm this master marketer. It's because 
people are having their lives change and then they're just, you know, they're sharing it. Well, you know, I'm, I, I live in the personal development world and the self-help world and, and always have, I've read so much and, you know, it's like in the Bible, Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun and there's really not. But sure. that said, we always, uh, times change, our circumstances change. We need new voices. We need it spoken in a different way. And I will give you this testimonial, how reading it, and I can't quite define it. Uh, I, I, I will, as time goes on, I, I just love uh, your, I don't know if it's your writing style. I don't know. You know, I read something this morning by a guy I follow, uh, Roy H. Williams. He's a marketing guy. He's been a kind of a, a, an off mentor for a long time. He doesn't know it. Um, I've interviewed him a couple of times, but he wrote something this morning about the power in the nonfiction world where we're trying to impart something, the power of writing it and including it in a, in a memoir style. That's what you've done. So that was this this morning. That was a great preface to talking with you now because you do share so many of your own story and other people's as well. I don't know if it's that. I don't know if it's just you're clear on, you're so clear. I mean, the miracle morning for the power that it has is such a short book. I mean, it's a short read, sure. but it, 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 it is interesting. I want to come back to something that you said early on you in researching for this. You looked and you mentioned right at the bat, I looked at what athletes are doing, what CEOs are doing, something that's becoming, I think, a soapbox for me. I was a professional athlete. And back then there were certain things that I did. And it's been even in recent years where I've wondered, why did I ever leave that? When did the importance of my life ever get minimized from that to where I did not treat myself like a professional? I did not treat myself like a high profile CEO. Why don't I do that? Why do we minimize ourselves? Why wouldn't we all Saying, okay, we want we if we if we want incredible results from our lives, I don't know if there's anybody who's listening to my podcast or yours who doesn't. Otherwise, they'd be listening to some other mind candy somewhere. Yeah, um, sure. So, so hopefully, they want extraordinary results. Why wouldn't we treat ourselves like that? Like it is that paramount that the next morning we're going to get up for the Super Bowl, and there are certain things we're not going to get drunk that night. We're not going to stay up late. We're not going to take in a bunch of negative crap. We are going to protect ourselves, empower ourselves, fill ourselves. Why don't we do that? And I feel like that's what you brought us to in this book a lot is to, in so many words, but to treat ourselves if we want extraordinary results. Uh, and you've been coming back to you saying it has more weight. I, we go through this. I work a lot in the health and wellness industry and I never want to say something is the Holy grail, but you can say sequentially, it's got to come first. There are yeah. some things that have yeah. to, I mean, if you're going to have dinner, a plate goes down first before your food, you know, I mean, just, it's just sure. sequentially. Is it most sure. important? I, it's just sequentially Yeah. that what you're talking about here. I, I absolutely unequivocally uh, agree that your miracle warning, I, I don't know how anything can have more weight than equipping ourselves again, back to treating ourselves like the athlete, like the high power CEO. And yet we don't. And I know that I felt, I kind of felt your angst with that as you intro the miracle equation of why aren't we taking action? And I want to just kind of throw that to you as you're now really enmeshed in this, what are you seeing are some of the primary reasons people are not taking action on something they're excited about on something yeah. they believe in? I actually, I'm glad you asked that because this is, I just recorded a podcast. So I have the achieve your goals podcast. And, uh, the last episode that I released, I think it was last week, um, answered this question. And in, in the title of the podcast was why human nature is the number one thing holding you back and how to overcome that okay. or number one obstacle. Okay. And, and here's the thing. So I actually have, yeah, really analyzed why is it that we don't do what we need to do? 
because what separates the world's most successful people from everybody else, uh, it, it really isn't that diff- it's not difficult to do. I'll give you an example. When I, you know, I was in sales, I sold Cutco cutlery for six years from age 19 to 20, 25, 26. And I was one of the top salespeople in Cutco. Um, here's what it takes to be the number one salesperson in Cutco, or at least one of the top salespeople or any company in, in the world. Okay. So here you go. Here it is. Look all how right, easy right. this I, is. I'm, re- I'm listening. You, I, you pick up the phone. All right. Have we done anything hard yet, Kevin? Not yet. All right. Now you dial the seven digits in your, you know, prospect re- referral notebook, right? It's still not difficult. Right. Nope. And then you read a sales script that somebody else wrote and tested for you word for word. And you just read it. Right. Not, not, nothing too monumental not, not yet, right? Um, and then, and then you schedule the, and then, and then when they say they say no, if you, they say no, you hang up, you do the same thing, really easy. You pick it up, dial the numbers, read the script, and and if they say yes, um, then then within the next few days, usually you drive to their house, and you re- not difficult driving somewhere, right, right. and then you recite a, a presentation, at least for me, that had been again written for me. I had memorized it, I had mastered it, I had practiced it. And then I asked if they wanted to purchase or not. And then they said, yay or nay. And then I said, do you know anyone else that I'm able to shy? I read a referral script, right? Nothing I did there at all was difficult. I wasn't, I wasn't out in the field, right? Digging ditches in hundred degree heat all day. Like that's hard. That's hard work. And the God, I admire you if you're doing that work. Yeah. But to be the top salesperson and make a multi six figure income, all they had to do was pick up the phone, dial it, drive there, and, re- and none of that is difficult. But let me tell you why we don't do it. I'll tell you why we don't do it. And this applies to every single area of our life, and it is human nature. Our inborn human nature, and if you go back to, um, you know, I don't know, caveman days, or right, let's just go back in time, um, where, when, or even just when we were living on the land, right? Uh, we, society has conditioned us to, to have to earn money to purchase things, right? And then we're trying to achieve and we're comparing ourselves to others and we're trying to rise in the ranks of success and become important and worthy and feel significant and all these things. But if you go back in time, there were only two things that people did, survive and rest. That's pretty much it, survive and rest. So we are programmed to do the minimal amount of effort to survive, that's it. So you think about it back in the day, you know, you had to get up when you were out of food and you had to get off your lazy butt and you had to go hunt the buffalo or or whatever you're hunting. Right. But once you got it, now you got to go rest and relax and enjoy time with your family for however many months that buffalo fed you in the village. And then when you when you were out of it, now you had to survive again. So you got off your lazy butt and you went and hunted again. But as soon as so that's what we're programmed to do. We are programmed innately to do the minimum necessary to survive. And then once we are in able to survive, all we want to do is rest. That's programmed in our DNA. So that's why it's easier if you have a roof over your head and food in the fridge. Well, then you don't have to pick up the phone to survive. You don't have to go to the gym to survive. You don't have to spend time with your kids to survive. You don't have to take your wife or your husband out on date night to survive. Those are all to thrive. But I don't think anybody, as you said, listening to your podcast or mine, that whether it's societal conditioning or just the, or we've evolved to want to thrive. I don't, I don't exactly know. Maybe it's a little bit of both. In fact, it's definitely both, but 
we, we, we're not, we don't want to just survive and rest anymore. We actually want to thrive. Mm-hmm. We, if we're measuring success on a scale of one to 10, I said this in the miracle morning on a scale of one to 10 in every area of our lives, we want level 10 success. We want level 10 health, level 10 happiness, level 10 relationships. We want level 10 financial freedom, right? We, we, nobody wants, nobody wants to settle. Like, eh, I don't want to be too happy or too healthy or too wealthy. No, we want level 10. So we now want to thrive. And in order to do that, you have to overcome your innate, inborn, programmed human nature to simply survive and rest. And if we want, you know, we can go into the, the miracle equation is that piece because you read it, you read that passage. Yeah. What I realized is with the miracle morning, do I believe that personal development is the foundation of success? Absolutely. And it ba- it's based on a Jim Rohn quote. Your level of success will seldom exceed your level of personal development. Because success is something you attract by the person you become. In other words, if you want to achieve that level 10 success, you have to develop the qualities, the characteristics, the mindset, the knowledge, the skills, the habits. You do that during your miracle morning. But like you read from the book, you can develop yourself to level 10, but still not do anything with it. In fact, we often get tricked into thinking that the personal development alone is enough. We're like, oh, I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm becoming better. Yeah. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But you're not getting out of your living room. You're not doing anything outside of surviving at your job that you're in that pays the bills, the minimum to get by. You're not thriving. And that's where the miracle equation came into play is that while the miracle morning is your daily practice for personal development, you've got to follow that up with a daily process for goal achievement. And that's what the miracle equation is. Well, and you just, I mean, highly Ziggler-esque there, his famous quote. (laughs) There are no new ideas, you said it yourself. But but we need new voices. But him saying we got to be the right person. Folks who listen to this show know that we got to be the right person to do the right things to, in essence, have what we want. Be, do, have. And we hear Tom Ziggler talk about that so much today. Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Ziegler show. I don't even have to wonder if you're getting value from my talk here with Hal Elrod. I mean, it's guaranteed. My next question for him comes from page 64 in the miracle morning where Hal states the more vivid you make your vision, the more compelled you'll be to take the necessary actions to make it a reality. And I ask him if he feels this really is the foundation of getting us to step forward in taking action. And he gives some great ideas Uh, almost tricks to get us to take action and make things happen. Uh, Again, I highly encourage you visit the miracle equation.com to check out Hal's new book. All right. So Hal's going to speak to this question on vision right after I share some great products and services from Ziggler's esteemed show sponsors. Well, you talking about us wanting more. And again, I think there's nobody listening to your podcast or, or this one, which by the way, folks, he mentioned it, achieve your goals. That's Hal Elrod's podcast. Go check it out. We were talking a couple of days ago and I looked it up on chartable and it was at, uh, it was at like at the top. Uh, mine was, mine was at 1300. Oh. No, yours was at like a thousand sixty or something like that. But I see it generally. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, no, I actually looked at it later and it was higher. So it was top oh, thousand. Wow. Anyway, sharing that with me. I gotta go. I'm going, I'm going to bring up chartable right now. Chartable, so you go do that and everybody else just go subscribe while he's doing that. Go to the uh, achieve uh, uh. your goals with Hal Elrod. And, uh, again, just a profound message there. Okay. Anyways, for folks listening to that folks listening to this show are here because they do want more. Otherwise they would not be here. They could go off and listen to some story, uh, on uh, NPR or something like that. So we assume that now 
this is actually out of miracle morning, I believe. And I actually have page 69 written in my notes and you talk about vision and I'm going to read right out of it again. You said the more vivid you make your vision, I'll also speak to us folks to the audience, the more vivid you guys make your vision. We all make our visions. The more compelled will be to take the necessary actions to make it a reality. That was, again, kind of one of those beacons that stuck out to me in leading up and researching uh, you and your message and leading up to this because I have realized that you talked about goals that so often I see that when folks are not ultimately going after something, they know they want more, but they're not going after it. They really haven't gotten clear on what it is they want. And I have done that, Hal. Actually, I'll say there are still areas in my life where I'll realize, why, why have I not progressed there? And I'll come back. I have not clarified my goal. I, I always am driven. I always wake up in the morning driven, but without being clear, I can't make those definitive steps. And sometimes I don't even know that I've progressed or regressed, I, sure. I should say, without those. And so I really appreciate your talking in there about that vision. And I assume that you see that as well. A lot of people that, yeah, they want more, they want more. But when you ask them, they don't have a specific yeah. on that, what they want on those, what they want. Uh, so in, in that, do you find yourself, and I know you speak so much, you're doing the podcast. Yeah. Where does vision rank? I mean, again, we do talk about what's the Holy grail, you know, what's sequentially, I mean, vision's got to be, I think right at the top. Yeah, it is. And actually my, so my co-author here, if you're watching the video, I know most of us on the podcast, but Cameron Harold wrote the book vivid vision, right? I think that's okay. where that okay. term was coined, um, but yeah, you know, you, you could, so vision, uh, is, is the is the process of gaining clarity, right? Yeah. Or it's, it's, it's the action to gain clarity. And clarity is, the to me, that is the first step in, in achieving the things you want in your life and improving your life. You have to have total clarity on what it is that you want. And here's the thing. I think this is what hangs people up a lot with vision or clarity is they go, well, but I don't know if that's exactly what I want. And, and it's that perfectionist mindset where you're like, well, I – I think I want that, but what if I want something different? Ah, you know, and then they just do nothing because they're not sure. And I always say it's better to have a target to shoot at, even if it's the wrong target, because you usually only figure out it's the wrong target when you're aiming at it. And then you're going, wait a minute, I'm going to, I'm going to shift my target a little bit. Right. But with no target, you got nothing to shoot for. Yeah. And so, you know, I always say like, it's better to put something in your schedule, for example, even if you're not sure it's the right time to do, day to do it. Like, well, well, I don't know when I should do this. We'll just put it in. So that when that day arrives, you either go, this is the right time or, oh, you know what? I should have done it earlier, later, et cetera, right? So it's that same thing is having a vision. You said it yourself is that, right, Kevin, it, it gives you, without it, you're, you don't have clear, without a clear vision, you don't have clear actions to take, yep. right? Yep. And so um, for me, you know, back when I was in, in sales, for example, uh, you know, I was taught simple goal setting, right? And obviously my, my podcast is Achieve Your Goals. So I'm big on, I'm big on goals. Yeah. Um, but I think that th th there's one big lesson that I learned, uh, and, and this is in the miracle equation. This is like an entire chapter. Uh, the chapter is your goal is not the goal. Yeah. And the, the lesson is that the purpose of a goal, when I say purpose, essentially, I mean, the greatest benefit of a goal, like the, the ultimate reason that you should set a goal. Most people think, well, yeah, it's so you have a, a goal to hit. You want to hit that goal. That's why you set a goal so you can hit the goal. But here's the reality. The purpose of a goal, the ultimate benefit is not to hit the goal. It's to develop the qualities and the characteristics of someone who has the qualities and characteristics that can achieve goals, regardless of whether or not you hit it. Mm 
So let's say, for example, you set a goal, you commit to give it everything you have, and you do. You you give it, you fall, you, you, you define your process, right? In the miracle equation, I talk about every goal is preceded by a process, and the process is what r- results in the goal. And if you commit to your process every day without being emotionally attached to your results, you're gonna hit the goal. It's inevitable. It might take longer than you thought, but as long as you're doing the activities that move you in the direction of the goal. Your success is inevitable. It's only a matter of time. But here's the caveat. What causes people to, to either not approach a goal at all is the fear of failure. Well, what if it's a waste of time? What if I don't reach my goal? Like when was the last time that you think about this if you're listening? When was the last time that you set a goal and get, gave it everything you had, but it was a goal you didn't actually believe you could hit? Like we, we don't work. Human beings don't work that way. We are innately. We, we like certainty. Right. So we only usually set goals that we believe we can hit. Um, So but here's the point. The lesson is the real purpose of a goal is not to hit the goal. It's to become the type of person who can achieve goals by the qualities and the characteristics you develop through the process of giving it everything you have, regardless of your results along the way. So if you give it everything you have and you fall short of the goal, okay. Who you become in that process, the qualities, the characteristics, the habits, the mindset, the skill sets, those don't leave you. And now you are a better version of who you were when you set out to achieve that goal. And all you do is either keep pursuing that goal and know it's going to take longer, or you apply that new, better, improved version of yourself to your next goal. And maybe you hit that goal, but guess what? Maybe you don't. But if you approach it with you know what I call the miracle equation, unwavering faith and extraordinary effort, and you give it everything you have until the last moment to achieve the goal, you might hit that goal or you might miss it. But the point is you're going to get better and better and more capable and more deserving of achieving monumental, meaningful goals, not by you achieving the goals along the way, but by who you become in the process. And like you said, Zig's beautiful, famous philosophy, which by the way, is the crux of my next book that I'm working on, Be Do Have. Uh, right. First, you have to become the person awesome. you need to be, then do the things that you need to do to have the life you want. But most people get this backwards. They think, well, once I have more time, once I have more money, then I can do the things like exercise and give to charity so I can have a life of health and of meaning. No, 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 no. First, you got to be the person, then do the things, then you'll have the life, not the other way around. I, I love that. That's been one as a, as long as I've been in the health and wellness arena, I've realized that the people look at folks who've achieved something, they look at Hal Elrod and go, well, of course he exercises and maybe he has a personal trainer or goes to the gym that he could afford to now. And what I found out just like you have in my research was no, no, they did those things so that they could become who they were. Well, I want to, I want to come to, I mean, a point that you make that I appreciate so much, maybe, uh, Maybe again, an Achilles heel in personal development. When you speak to the need, this came right out of the miracle equation, the need for us to be happy and grateful for who we are and where we are right now, to have some contentment with ourselves and not, uh, you know, have negative feelings, negative self-image for where we are. So be okay with us now, but, and this is right. This is your, your writing also following the innate human desire to grow and improve. Uh, and you said, I, I see a lot of folks on one side or the other, never content with themselves. Uh, they're striving, striving. And those who, you know, have given up and just want to be okay with where they are. And I, and I hear that so often. Can I just be all this striving and personal development? We just need to be okay with who we are. And I love how you put that, but we all have this innate desire to be 
better. It's, it's almost boring. If what, then what else is there to do just to stay in the status quo and go, gosh, I've, I've actually arrived. No, we all want to. So looking at that, I, I, I think I want you to speak to that a little bit, striking that balance, because I do see polarization on those two issues and you see people just driving themselves and they're never at peace. Okay. That's not yeah. good. That's not what we're talking yeah. about in personal development. But then the others over here who have gotten so frustrated with that, with feeling like they're never okay. They're never enough. And so you speak to that balance or you speak to those issues. I want you sure. to speak to the balance there. Yeah. I think it's one of the most important, you know, um, paradigms in life to hold. And, and I forgot who said that, but there's someone that said like, that's a sign of genius or something when you can hold two opposing, opposing ideas yeah, simultaneously. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whereas most people go, no, 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 I'm, this is the way that it is. And if you don't believe the way I, you're wrong. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, we see them politics all the time. Right. Yeah. No, no, no. This is the way it's like, what if it's a little bit of both? Yeah. What if there's wisdom from both your perspectives and somewhere in the middle is the, the truth or, or, or the, you know, the, the best way to do it. So, so here's the point. The first quote, you know, I'm big on reading quotes. I'm big on writing quotes, right? Um, and the first quote that I ever wrote down is of my own, you know, original quote, if you will. And I'm sure, again, it was probably somewhere else. It's probably been said before. But uh, to my knowledge, this was my quote, right? So love the life you have yeah. while you create the life of your dreams. Beautiful. And here's the thing. Um, that is, we do have an, I believe that most people have an innate drive and desire to grow and improve. And you don't have to let society tell you how you should grow and improve or what is important. So meaning, um, you don't, you know, if you go, if you go, well, I don't care about being wealthy. I just want to make enough money to live a life of, of peace and security with my family right? Or I just want to live off the land and I don't want to work. I have, you know, a piece of land and I can just farm and make my money and or not make my money, but eat my food and right. Great. Um, or if you're a monk and you go, I just, I, I don't, I don't want to make any, I, 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 like, I just want to meditate all day. Well, that monk is still growing and evolving spiritually and emotionally and mentally, even though they're not achieving outer results that the world is measuring. Right. right. But still, there's that innate desire to grow and improve and evolve. And, you know, I call it elevating our consciousness, right? Yeah. Elevating our consciousness, which is often done in meditation, not in, you know, putting up Facebook ads and getting more traffic than the next guy, right? Like, yeah. you know, however you define it. So that's, that, that's an important piece is to realize that the growing, the evolving, the improving, the creating the life of your dreams is up to how you define it. But you have to also be completely honest with yourself. And a lot of people, I think, out of fear, fear of failure, fear of not being enough or fear of not living up to other people's standards, I think they sometimes throw their hands up and go, well, I don't, I don't care about money. I don't care about that stuff, right? right? Well, if that's true, then beautiful. Figure out what you do care about and live to your full potential in that area. But I'll tell you one thing that for, I think, most of us, I'd say physical health is it's pretty important. Now, again, I, I really can't judge. You could say, no, Hal, I want to go out in a blaze of glory. I'm going to smoke. I'm going to drink. And I just want to live to be 40. Like, okay, that's cool. That, again, no judgment. That's how you roll. That's fine. But I think that that is speaking to the minority. I think the, the majority of people want that level 10 success. And again, that's how you define success. That's a loaded word, right? Not how society defines success. But what's level 10 health for you? 
What's level 10 happiness for you? What's level 10 fulfillment and purpose and meaning for you? What's a level 10? Let's level 10 relationships with the people in your life that matter most, right? Fulfill your potential in those areas. Again, not what society defines, but how you define. So I'll close this thought out, Kevin, with what I believe has been one of the most valuable lessons that I've ever, I guess, kind of taught myself. And I try to share this with other people. Um, And it's this. Human beings, most of us, and again, I think a lot of it is societal conditioning, but most of us compare where we are to where either others are or where we want to be. And our brain doesn't do a good job with patience. Mm -hmm. It doesn't do a good job realizing that there's a journey to get from where we are to where we want to be. And all it knows is, I see that commercial. I see that person. I see that vision. I see that goal I'm setting. And the brain goes, well, that's what I want. And it it doesn't create chronology. It just goes, I want it now. It doesn't create time and space. It goes, I want it now. And that creates all these feelings of inadequacy and Right, I'm not enough. I'm not far enough along. I'm not where they are. I'm not where I want to be. On and on and on. So here's the greatest lesson that I've I've learned a lot of it through experience. When you finally get to the point or the place in your life or your business, any area of your life that you've been working so hard for for so long, when you finally arrive, when you finally get to that place, you achieve that goal. You you get to the place in your life you almost never wish it would have happened any sooner. Hmm. Instead, when you get there, you look back and you go, oh, it it had to take this long. I had to go through all of those obstacles and setbacks and failures and challenges. But what you didn't have to do is stress along the way. You could have enjoyed every moment. And had you realized that, oh, when I get there, it's going to be the perfect timing. And looking back, you go, why did I waste all that energy feeling like I wasn't enough? Feeling like, feeling stress every day that I should be further along, that, I sh- I, that I'm not as good as they are. I'm not, no. So here's the, 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 the lesson beyond the lesson is this. Be at peace with where you are now at every moment of every day. When I had cancer and I had lost I weighed 107, I'm six feet tall, Kevin. I weighed 170 pounds when I had cancer. I was down to 120, from 170 to 127 pounds. Holy smokes. I was almost dead. In fact, they had to cancel my eighth treatment because I would have, they said, you, you won't live through it. And I was happy and grateful every moment of the way. Now, were there times where I was in physical pain and, and not enjoying it? Absolutely. But you can ask anyone that knows me, Anyone, my wife, you can ask my kids, you can ask my best friends, you can ask my dad. And I'm not saying this to say, look at me, I'm, 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 I'm cool. I'm looking at this to say, if I could do this in the most difficult circumstance of my life, you can do it in the day-to-day grind of yours. And it was that you can choose to be the happiest and the most grateful you've ever been every moment of your life, no matter what's going on around you, because it's not dependent on what's going on around you. It's dependent on what's going on inside of you. And it's a matter of consciously choosing to be at peace every day while you maintain a healthy sense of urgency and, and, and you're proactively doing at least one thing a day. You don't have to work 80 hours a week. Just do one thing a day beyond the minimum that mm-hmm. you do to survive. Do one thing a day to thrive. Do one thing a day that moves you closer to your biggest goals and dreams. And if you do just one thing a day, that's the miracle equation, by the way. 
unwavering faith is the first half. And I, in the book, I teach how to, you know, make unwavering faith practical so that you program your mindset to believe and have faith. You can do everything. So it keeps propelling you forward through your fears. You replace fear with faith. But the second half of the equation is extraordinary effort. And again, that's not about hustling, grinding, and working all the time. It's about consistency. That's what extraordinary effort is. It's consistency. It's defining your process that will make your achievement of your goal inevitable and executing that process every single day, even if it's just one thing. And if you do that, if you maintain those two decisions, unwavering faith and extraordinary effort over an extended period of time until you achieve that goal, that dream, that miracle, the only variable is time, but you can't fail. It's only a matter of time. And I'm going to come to those next after I dig in on something that you said here. Yeah. So you talked about us being at peace um, during the process, during the journey. And you cited your own cancer journey in there. Okay. That one, I'm going to, uh, not a, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to push on it a little bit. You're a victim on that one. We could say, you know, in, in all senses and purposes, we're a victim. Let's take the person who's out there right now trying to start a business, something that they believe in, something they think will help people. And they're struggling financially and they're looking and they want to be at peace. And now and I'll use myself as a guinea pig. I've been here before in my sure. multiple me too. times and me too, where, yeah. where I'm, I'm aware of, I have the power to make a bad decision. I have a, the power to, to make things hard. I am, um, this is a kind of, a, you're going to get a doctrine here, you know, on, on regret. I, I don't, and again, we can, we can decipher or define how we say regret, but in some sense, I mean, there's a lot of things that I did in the past. I go, man, I wish I had not done that. Um, did I learn? Yes. Was it redeemed? Well, well sure. Still, man, I, I made a bad, I made a rookie move. I made a bad decision, good intent. So now here I am. And now here these people are, who are listening to this now who are concerned about the decision that they make tomorrow, the one they did yesterday, and they want to be at peace, but they also know, man, I have the power to screw things up here. How do we, again, we're kind of back back to that balance of a reconciliation of, I want to be at peace. I want to be okay, but oh my gosh, what's the decision tomorrow? What's the priority right now? What do I do? Because I don't know if I'm going to pay the mortgage, you know, this month. And this is something that's, it feels like it's all on me. It's all on me. It's all on them. Speak to that in reference to that. Yeah. So that was my 2008, right? Again, I, you know, I, I, what happened was I I was making $10,000 a month. My expenses were probably about eight, right? I had a mortgage. I had a car payment. I think seven, maybe. Um, I was debt-free. And then the economy started to crash. And I am the eternal optimist. And I, 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 I sent, in 2008, I coined a new quote. After, not in 2008, but afterwards, looking back, I went, wow, there's a fine line between optimism and delusion. <laughs> and, and I cross it often, yeah. right? So in 2008, people were like, oh, man, the economy's you know, in trouble. Are you worried? And I'd go, Psh, I create my own economy. I don't, I don't watch the news. I'm not, I'm not you know, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then I'm like, oh, when the economy's failing and your clients are, can't afford to pay you, <laughs> right? Because they're in sales and they're not making sales. Oh, that's a real thing. And then I lost my first client and broke my heart. I'm like, man, I've never lost a client. But, you know, they said it wasn't me. It was they, they can't afford it. I believe them. Okay. All right. Let's move on. And then I lose two clients the next week. And I go, uh, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Right. So, again, so yeah. the point is I, I, I've been there. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and I would love to save you from the depression that I did go through at that time mm-hmm. because I didn't know what I'm telling you now. I didn't understand that. And, and I will – granted – it is easier said than done. 
it is, you know, right. Like I'm not going to pretend that it's easy. when you're going through it, it's difficult, but, but here's the deal. Um, I just want to reference this and then I'll speak to exactly yeah. what you said, but I, I just want to reference it. I think it's important. So back then I didn't know what I'm telling you now. Okay. However, when I was diagnosed with cancer and I, and I would arguably, I would say that that was way more difficult than 2008, right? Like way scarier. It wasn't like, well, I'm in fina- a financial down point. It was like the, the doctors are telling me I am probably going to die. Yeah. And I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old who I love more than life itself. And, I, and I'm thinking every day about them growing up without a father, right? Like, I mean, it was, it was horrific, but I was genuinely at peace because and, and here's why, actually, I'll, this is a really important lesson. In fact, this is the crux, the first half of my keynote. So I'll try to not turn it into a 20-minute keynote here. Be free. I'll try to keep it into a two-minute lesson. <laughs> um, but here's, I learned this after my car accident. I don't think we talked about that. When I was 20 years old, I was hit head on by a drunk driver at 80 miles an hour, 70 or 80 miles an hour, uh, and I died for six minutes. I broke 11 bones, died for six minutes, spent six days in a coma, suffered internal bleeding, punctured lung, ruptured spleen, permanent brain damage, and I was told I would never walk again. When I came out of the coma, I was happy. I was completely at peace with it because I couldn't change it. And this is the lesson that I didn't understand that I was living at the time. It was in hindsight, looking back uh, to understand it. Here's what I've learned. And if you're listening, and Kevin, this is directly answering your question. Every negative emotion that you have ever felt Every negative emotion that you are feeling now, and when I say negative emotion, negative is a term, I mean, relative term. You could say, well, is it negative? Is it what if you learn from it? Blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about the emotions that in general you'd call negative. Kevin, you mentioned regret. That's a negative emotion, right? Yep. That, that, that causes you pain, emotional pain. Um, anger, sadness, fear, resentment. These are all what I would categorize as, let's call them destructive emotions, right? They're destructive emotions. Every, here's the lesson. And this changed my life more than probably any other. Every, this is why I felt almost no emotional pain during my car accident, almost no emotional pain during my cancer journey. Because every negative emotion that we've ever felt is self-created. It's not happening because of the thing that we think is causing it, the debt, the car accident, the, whatever, right? the, the, the failing marriage. Every negative emotion that we've ever felt or or feeling now or could ever feel is self-created by our resistance to our reality. In other words, to the degree that we wish and want that something didn't happen, wasn't happening now, or wouldn't happen in the future, to the degree that we wish and want that that the, the unchangeable wasn't what it was, is the degree that we create emotional pain for ourselves. So think about it. If something bad happens, and I'll use two, I'll use an extreme example, and I'll use a very common example. Okay. Most people, when I give a speech, I say, "How many of you hate traffic?" And they all raise their hand. They're like, "Ah, oh, yeah, I, I hate traffic." Like all the audience, right? I go, "Okay, if this is all you get out of the speech today, you got your money's worth, right?" right. Um, when I hit, I used to hate traffic, right? Imagine we hit traffic. Oh no, come! On, I'm running late. I don't have time for this today. Come on! And we spend the, the thirty minutes in traffic stressed out, gripping the steering wheel, tense in our shoulders, right? And then I, I applied the lesson I just taught, which is, wait, every negative emotion is caused by our resistance to our reality. So how do you cure that? How do you solve that? The opposite of resistance is acceptance. When you accept something you can't change, 
you give yourself the gift of being at peace with it. Now, it doesn't mean you're happy. I wasn't happy I had cancer. I'm not happy there's traffic, but peace is not an emotion. See, happiness is an emotion. It's a positive one, right? Happiness, excitement, gratitude, blah, 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 right? Happiness, emotion. Emotions are fleeting. You can be happy one minute and a phone call with some bad news changes that. So your emotional state swings from happiness to sadness. Yeah. But when you accept all things you can't change, in between the emotion of happiness and sadness is a state of being that I would call peace. And it's emotionally neutral. When you're at peace, you then get to choose your emotion. So when I'm in traffic, instead of going no and resisting it and going no, by the way, Kevin, let me ask you a question. Does resisting the traffic and getting frustrated and angry and stressed out, does that move the cars in front of you any faster? Not yet. Sometimes I act as if I have faith it will someday. It, it doesn't work. But it yeah. hasn't done anything yet. So, so, so what that is telling us is that resisting our reality and causing that emotional pain serves no valuable purpose. It does not fix the thing. It just makes us miserable. It causes us the pain. So here's what I realized. I go, oh, wait a minute. So what if instead of resisting that there was traffic and wishing there weren't and getting frustrated and angry and upset, what if I just accept, what if I took a deep breath? I say three really powerful words, can't change it. I can't change it. So there's no value in wishing I could. So why don't I just be at peace with it? So now when I hit traffic, even if I'm running late and there's going to be a negative consequence at the, at the end of that journey, I take a deep breath. I smile as I can't change it. And I remind myself, I can't change what I can't change, but I can choose. I can't change the outside world, but I can choose the inside world. And I can choose to be the happiest, the most grateful at peace while I go through the unwanted circumstance that I'm enduring. And so in traffic, you can choose to turn up the radio or turn off the radio, smile, be grateful, be excited, be at peace, whatever the hell you want, whatever the heaven you want, I should say, right? <laughs> and, and that's it. And, and that's a microcosm for life. In the same way that you can choose your internal emotional experience during the 30 minutes of traffic, despite what's going on around you that you don't want, you can choose the emotional internal experience every moment of every day for the rest of your life regardless of what's happening around you. And when I was diagnosed with cancer, I told my wife as she was in tears, fearful that she was going to lose her husband. I said, sweetheart, I, I, I don't expect you to, to, to buy into what I'm about to say. In fact, you might get mad when I say this, but I have decided, see, I decided this cancer will be the best thing that ever happened to me. And I think she hit me <laughs> and I think she got mad and said, how the hell, how the, how can you, can say that how can you say that and i can tell you i still don't think she agrees but guess what i went through it mm -hmm. i was the one getting chemo i was the one in the r almost dead many times and it was the best thing that ever happened to me and i don't say that in hindsight alone i said that every single day and as my dad who was my caretaker and my wife who was my caretaker as they were in tears Watching me go through this, I was comforting them and saying, hey, this is meant to be. I'm learning. I'm growing. And on the other side of the most difficult time of our lives, 
I believe that the best version of myself is there. And I truly believe that it's true. And it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if I could do it in traffic or if I could do it when I was on my, near my deathbed, you can do it anywhere in between. Hal and everyone listening, if I had the ability to have some music come in right now, I guess I could do that in editing the song <laughs> later, some powerful music and a dramatic pause because I had that pulled out of the book, how you have, it's actually what he just spoke of folks is chapter four. Becoming <clears throat> emotionally me. invincible. Yeah, yes. Yes. Yeah. Becoming emotionally invincible. The subtitle is listen to this folks, how to release every negative emotion that's ever held you back. Okay. I read that and right away kind of not, not bristle, but I was like, wait a minute. But then I read it again, how to release Every negative emotion that's ever held you back. He didn't say how not to feel. And mm. I think we get that message every once in a while. I mean, that's a psychopath. Um, it's how to, to release. And it's hard for me not to feel like, and maybe it's just where I am at or, or where I am with my own uh, influence and personal development to feel like there may be, that may be the most important thing. If people don't get anything else, if they can get that to deal with those negative emotions and well, you, I, you know, I do want you to speak to the five minute rule because there's, yeah, I was just going to say, I can close out with that. Yeah. Please, please do. Um, because it's, it's, I, I, I get it. I think, oh my gosh, th that's a monster. If, if we can embrace that, uh, talk about changing the world, which I know is your, is your effort right now, but talk about that because this is something that we know, you know, everybody is dealing with pretty much every single day, whether it's the yeah. traffic or whether it's a pending divorce, whether it's an illness or a disease that they've just got or a diagnosed coworker with. that you can't stand. And every time they do something, it just, ugh, it just boils your blood, right? Not you enough, can't change it. not enough money don't in the bank. You, yeah. yeah. Whatever it is right now that you can't change, at least in this moment, even, and you're saying you're giving them a, you're giving them a superpower is what you're trying to do. But yeah. again, it's not just an easy, you know, say it and believe it and just go yeah. forward. You actually have a methodology and folks, I mean, shamelessly go by the book. This is not a book that you just read, get the message and go on. This is one you study, take action on. Like we started talking about this, apply to your life and make a change. And I have Hal here right now who I did not know at all until days ago, uh, but I've been reading his stuff. And I am enamored. Uh, I'm actually going to ask for a good deal on a bunch of books, Hal, that I want <laughs> yeah, autographed to my, it, to my fa to some family members of mine. Cool. Okay, so all that though, but yeah, I want you to hit that. And this is Five not a folks. I, I want you to hear this with gravity. This is not simplistic. And just like you did say a minute ago, easier said than done. Oh my gosh! Granted, obviously, you're talking about some big deal issues. But talk about the five minute rule because I want folks to leave this show and ruminate, if nothing else, on that. Go. Yeah. So, yeah. So I can't take total credit for, uh, in fact, I take credit for very little because uh, ever, I'm just a product of all the mentors that I've had in my life. That's okay. I'm I've here read. to give you credit. So we're, we're good. All right, cool. There you go. So now, so here's the deal. So when I had my car accident and I was, you know, um, I was told I would never walk again and a, I applied the miracle equation, which I did develop, you know, at that time to, unwavering faith that I would walk again. I put forth extraordinary effort every day, visualizing, praying, uh, going to therapy, physical therapy, you know, really focusing. But here's the deal. I was so positive and happy, go lucky, you know, just focused on it and telling the doctors that I, they were saying I was never going to walk. And I go, look, doctors, I, I respect your opinion. You're an expert in medicine, but you're not an expert in me. Uh, I, I, I'm going to believe I'm going to walk again, but if I don't, I'm at peace with it. So again, holding two opposing ideas, right? I had learned something in my sales training at Cutco a year and a half prior called the five-minute rule. 
which is what led to this mindset I just shared with you and these, this, this idea of accepting all things you can't change. And here's an actionable strategy that you can implement. Um, our manager taught us, hey, when you go out there and you're in the sales field, in, in, the, in the sales world, it's just like it's a microcosm for life. You're going to encounter lots of disappointment and failure. You're going to set a goal. You're not going to hit it. You're going to get a huge order from your best customer. You're going to go buy it. You go treat yourself to dinner and they're going to call you the next day and they're going to cancel the order. Right. I mean, he's just giving us a reality check. Right. And he's like, I'm not trying to destroy, you know, he goes, you're going to have a lot of great stuff happen, but you're going to have to be able to deal with the bad stuff yeah. to keep moving forward to get to the great stuff. And he said, so I'm going to teach you the five minute rule. The five minute rule says it's okay to be negative when something goes wrong but not for more than five minutes. There's no point in dwelling on it and wishing you could change it, wishing it didn't happen, feeling sorry for yourself, feeling upset about it when it's now in the past, whether it's five minutes or five days or five decades, right? And so the way the five-minute rule worked is he literally taught us when something happens that doesn't meet what you want, right? Meet your expectation. It's, something bad happens, we'll say, right? For lack of a better term. He said, you set your timer on your phone for five minutes, and you give yourself five minutes to moan, complain, cry, vent to somebody else, whatever, right? And he said, when the timer goes off after five minutes, you've, you've given yourself a chance to feel the emotion. He said, you say three very powerful words. And I already said them earlier. Can't change it. That's to remind yourself that if I can't go back in time and change it, which unless you're Marty McFly with a DeLorean, right. you can't go back in time and change it. He said, there's no value in dwelling on it in a negative way and being upset about it. Yeah. He said, the only intelligent choice to make at that point is to accept it, be at peace with it, and then, and then be proactive and go get on the phone and make more calls, schedule more appointments and go make more sales, right? And so when I had my car accident, the doctors thought I was in denial. They called my parents in a week after I came out of the coma, two weeks after the actual crash happened. Uh, you know, I was still in a, in, in a hospital bed. I had, you know, I don't even know if I had stood at that point and I'm saying I'm all positive. And the doctors called me, my parents, and they said, we believe that Hal is in denial mm. or he's delusional or something. Cause he's always happy and smiling and laughing. And they said, frankly, that's not normal. You know, it's not normal for a 20 year old young man that we're telling he's not going to walk again to be like, okay, that, well, you know, if that's how, if that's how it is fine, but I'm probably, you know, and, uh, and my dad came in that night and he talked to me and he said, Hal, it, how are you really feeling at the doctors think you're just, you know, denying your emotions and not feeling them. And they said, it's really important to feel them here in the hospital where it's safe. And the, you know, your psychologists and psychiatrists, they can work through them with you. And he said, how are you really feeling? Are you, are you deep down? Are you sad that this happened? Are you, are you scared, you know, that you won't walk again? Are you angry? You know, your mom and I are freaking livid with this drunk driver. And I imagine you might be too. How are you really feeling? And I look at my dad and, you know, his, his eyes are tearing up and he's, he's really emotional. And I really, I really went inside and thought about it. Am I sad? Am I scared? Am I angry? And I mean, Kevin, it probably took me 30 to 60 seconds to answer him. And I went, dad, I thought I smiled. I thought, I thought you knew me better than that. He said, well, what do you, what do you mean? I said, remember, I live my life by the five minute rule. It's And he said, remind me what that is. I said, Okay, it's okay to be negative, but not for more than five minutes. It's been two weeks since the crash. And I said, I, and here's a really, really valuable lesson, I think, for people to get through the story here. I said, I can't change that I was in a car accident, and I may never walk again. I, I, I don't know. I'm, 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 putting, I'm, believe, I'm maintaining faith that I can, but I don't actually know if I can. 
I said, so I've already considered the worst case scenario that I will never walk again and I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life, dad. And I visualize myself in the wheelchair with a smile. And I have decided if I am in a wheelchair the rest of my life, I will be the happiest, most grateful human being that you have ever seen in a wheelchair because I'm in a wheelchair either way. Either I can be miserable in a wheelchair and blame the wheelchair for my emotional, you know, lack of emotional well-being and my, you know, I can be a victim. Or I can be happy and grateful for all of the infinite things I have to be happy and grateful for outside of being in a wheelchair. I said, that's so, so the worst case scenario, dad, is I'm happy and grateful for the rest of my life. That's not so bad. You and mom don't need to worry about me. I said, but the second possibility, dad, is I will walk again. I don't even know if it's possible, but I also don't know if it's impossible. So all of my energy, all of my emotion, I'm visualizing, I'm praying, I'm imagining, I'm all, I've accepted the worst case scenario. So I don't think about it. I don't, I don't dwell on it. I don't, it causes me no pain. All of my energy goes into what I want which is to walk again. And if I never walk again, I'll flip a switch and I'll go, well, I guess it's the other vision that I spent five minutes on, which is I'm never going to walk again. So, okay, that's my new life. And it's, it's going to be a great life. It's not going to be dependent on the wheelchair. It's going to be a great life. And so we can apply that. And that's what I would encourage everyone to ask themselves. Right. What is your wheelchair? What's the circumstance in your life, past, present, or even the perceived you know, future that you're afraid of that caused you emotional pain? And realize that you can be the happiest, most grateful you've ever been while you're in traffic, while you're in financial ruin, while you're in a wheelchair, while you're battling cancer and being told you're never going to walk again and losing all your body weight and, and, and being in pain and, you know, right, uh, you know, sick and throwing up and exhausted and still smiling. They do not have to be mutually exclusive. And that five minute rule, by the way, is a great segue because it gives you, because here's what happens. By the way, I'm going to close out with this part. Kevin, when I learned the five-minute rule from my manager, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Five minutes? Can I get like a five-hour rule or a five-day rule? Like, I need a little longer to be upset when something goes wrong. And here's what happened, Kevin. I, I set my time for five minutes, and the first few times I did that, it went off. And I went, I like, I angrily, you know, turned off my phone or set it for another five. And I was like damn it, I knew I needed more time to be upset, right? And everybody listening is probably thinking that. Yeah. But here's what happens. You're changing your conscious awareness. And after doing it for a few, I mean, literally, it was only a few days. And, and, and I've had hundreds of people send me emails and tell me this is true for them. After a few days, I would set the timer for five minutes. And again, this was in the context of, you know, sales adversity, right? Yep. So I had a, and I remember I had a customer cancel uh, her appointment, it was one of the last appointments, or it was an, either an order or an appointment, I forget which one. But I remember, I'm like, no, I was like, it was like, it was like the last day of the sales contest. Like, I really had no time to make it up. I set the time for five minutes. And I go, son of a, you know, oh, I can't believe she did that. How could you do that to me? Oh, I was so close to my goal. Huh. And then I walk over and I pick up my phone. And I had about four minutes and 32 seconds left. And I went, what's the point of me being upset over something that I can't change for the next four and a half minutes when I could probably make three, four calls and get, get another appointment to make up for that. I'd rather be proactive than reactive. I'd rather move forward than focus on the past. And so the five minute rule became the five second rule. And it ultimately became, as I talk about in the book, I've accepted life before it happens. 
Meaning I know adversity and undesirable circumstances are inevitable for the rest of my life. So I've already accepted all of them before they happen. That's why when I was diagnosed with cancer, like I don't expect you to hear this and go, oh, well, if I got cancer tomorrow, I can do the same. No, you got to practice the five minute rule for 30 days and, and then realize, oh, I have the power to completely accept everything that is out of my control and therefore give myself the gift of peace with it and, and move forward. Right. And I mean, and that really is the lesson. Well, I, I don't know how to say this with enough gravity. This is not a good message. So Ziegler listeners, I haven't brought you another good message. This is a paradigm shift to instigate massive life change. I'm going to go back just real quick to where you talked about our innate, our ancestry, our heritage of survival and rest. That is normal. We have to be, we want to be, if we want more, we have to be abnormal. We have to be weird. Call it whatever you want to. So for what you're talking about right there, for something bad to happen, for something tragic to happen, for some folks who are products of tragedy that happened 40 years ago, to hear what you're talking about and to not have long-term anger, to not have bitterness, to not have sorrow, to not have criticism, to not have, that is abnormal. That is weird. And, is. But what you have said over and over is that that did not just come to you in a little, uh, it didn't come to you in a fortune cookie message and change your life that you had been training in that ability for days and weeks and months and years. And folks, that's what I mean, I'm going to go back to the books because, you know, we've, we have so, I say this a lot, you know, there's always more we could talk on. There's multiple shows here in an immense way get into these books, get into this message and, and study this because I don't know exactly how yet, how, but you've brought it in such a tangible way and with such clarity. Uh, but what you're talking about is massive, but I love that you also cash it in. This takes training. This is every day. And back to your miracle morning, this comes in those little deposits every single day. And we're just about to wrap this up. And then we're going to record the habit show that when people are hearing this, it'll be the, uh, let's see, two shows from then. And you can hear about more of his habits, but that is what he's going back to. And like you said, with the analogy early on, none of it's specifically hard. It's not rocket science. It's not dramatically challenging. It's just doing it day in and day out. But from that, what you've talked about there, it was probably one of the most radical life changes. I think anybody, any of us could experience is to be able to take something, deal with it, move on. And like you said, I, how is that negative feeling going to help? It's going to do nothing but hurt, hurt us and we can let it go. We have that ability, but we're going to have to grow it. We're going to yeah. have to grow it. We're going to have to earn it. Yeah. I guess that's it. I mean, well, yeah, and, and, you know, I, when the car accident happened, I had been practicing the five minute rule almost every single day for a year and a half. Mm. When the cancer happened, I've been practicing the five minute rule every day for 18 years. Wow. <laughs> you know, so that for me, I mean, yeah, so it wasn't like uh, I learned it and then I applied it and to, to cancer or I learned it and I applied it to being told I never walk again. It was a year and a half of practicing it where I'm like, that was just my default mindset. It's like, well, if I can't change it, I'm not going to be upset about it. I'm going to make the best of it and move forward. You know, and it's massive. Um, folks, you're going to want to hear this is show 707, 709 is our habit show, uh, which we're going to record right now, Let's but do it. tune, tune into that one, man. Thank you so much for doing what you have done 
to bring these messages to us, to take the tragedies in your own life and redeem them through the millions of people that you're reaching and for the tens of thousands you'll reach here on the show. And, and honestly, for me, uh, Hal, thank you so much for being with us. Kev, it's, a, it's an honor, man. Thanks for having me. Friends, as you heard me say, I believe this message right here from Hal Elrod hits at the very root of personal development. Will we take action or not? If you're not totally satisfied with your own personal progress, which I mean, who of us is, this is a message to not just hear, but to study and marinate in. I highly recommend you check out Hal's core book, The Miracle Morning. But then this new book is massive, The Miracle Equation. You can find it at themiracleequation.com. Plus his annual event, bestyeareverlive.com. So check all those out. Well, coming up next in show 708, how to master the call of your smartphone. I mean, we control our lives, right? Actually, most of us struggle with many areas such as, you know, getting enough sleep and exercise, curbing our appetite for tasty but unhealthy food and investing in intimate relationships and more. Well, a relatively new threat we are now finding the need to budget and put boundaries on is the communication and media portal of the world's we now carry in our pockets, our smartphones. And what started with text messages has now ballooned to over 2.2 million apps, enough to keep your attention 24 hours a day. Though it's just a handful of social media apps that command the lion's share of everyone's attention. But the question is, how are you doing? Do you control your device uh, or is it controlling you? So I went to the Ziegler audience and asked them, have you done anything to limit your smartphone usage? Have you found yourself being distracted by it? Well, most cited steps they are taking to limit their time and many admit to the struggle. And it was inspiring to hear what some uh, of the things they've gained back now that they put limits on their phone. You're going to get some great ideas from this show on how you can better manage your smartphone usage for your own benefit and joy and productivity and what those positive payoffs really are. So till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire inspire our true performance together.